Welcome to Analyze This, Mental Health in Film and TV. I'm Dr. Boo, clinical psychologist, and today I'm joined by Andy Butcher, games designer and recovering comic book geek. Today we're chatting about Iron Man, his identity and trauma, and the difficulties of formal psychiatric diagnosis. We talk to you about Captain America, the Hulk and Thor, and how their mental health is portrayed, and we ask how well do Marvel deal with the mental health of their superheroes? Please, before you listen further, watch all of the available Iron Man and Avengers films. There will be spoilers. Andy, in Iron Man 3, I think Stark's mental health becomes a real subject of attention. Yeah, I think it's a kind of it's a key key aspect of the stories right from the very start. But yeah, three is is focuses very heavily on it. I mean, the, the whole yeah the whole story kind of revolves around it to one some extent or another. Yeah, he's he's not in a good place at the start of Iron Man three. Yes, so he's just struggling after the trauma of New York. Yes, we start with him having this kind of I haven't slept for seventy two hours manic work phase that he seems to be in. Yeah. He's been making lots of suits, as it turns out. <laughs> um, and there's that wonderful scene where he's in the restaurant. And I think that one of the things that seems to trigger him off is not just the fact that there's the young kid mentioning the trauma, but it's the fact that he's already started struggling with a lot of information. There's a lot of people talking around him. And I get this feeling that he starts to get quite overwhelmed. I think he's, I mean, Stark being Stark, I think he's very aware that he's in a public place and that people know who he is. Uh, and so obviously that adds to the stress um, on him. He, if he would, yeah, if he's not out in public, I think he finds it slightly easier to, to, to deal with those things. But when he's out in public, I think he's aware that people know who he is. So that puts pressure on him. You know, he's a public figure. At the time, at any rate, I think it was probably one of the first first superhero films that had really dwelled on the idea that these massive kind of cataclysmic battles that the movies tend to end in do have effects on people <laughs> you don't just kind of walk away and get swarmer and everything's fine um and particularly not for start because i think he's you know his defining characteristic is that he's incredibly smart he's he's a, a he's brilliant he's a genius and he's a he has fantastic imagination and and anything he can imagine he can build um, and I think the the end of Avengers with the Battle of New York, when he goes through the portal and he sees that what's attacking New York and 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 you know threatening to lay waste to the, his entire planet, is just a fraction of what's on the other side of that portal. Um, and all of a sudden, up until then, he'd been concerned with with all his problems had been you know earthbound problems. Uh, which are big enough, he's you know literally trying to save the world kind of thing. But then all of a sudden he realizes that the, the our planet exists in a much 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 bigger universe than anybody realized, and that there's some really 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 scary stuff out there that just went completely unprepared for, and he's completely unprepared for. Um, so that gets him, and I think you know plus on top of just the trauma of he when he grabs the missile and flies it up there, he, I, you know, I think he firmly expects that he's not going to make it back. You know, coming to terms with that, that things are much, much worse than he ever thought, than he ever imagined. And he's not a particularly selfless guy. So I think it probably just was kind of interesting for him to kind of deal with the idea that he was willing to do that. But that's really interesting, isn't it? Because actually from a post-traumatic stress disorder point of view, which is the thing that everybody questions, does he have PTSD? Doesn't he have PTSD? Um, 
is that what you ha you've got the fact that he goes up there expecting that he's going to die, but he's in control of that. But what he's not in control of is what's on the other side that's yeah. so huge. So that feeling of helplessness, I think, will have been quite overwhelming. And then he has that panic attack in the restaurant. That's the kind of first big panic attack moment we have, diagnosed by Jarvis, which I love. Um, yeah. But it's actually really well presented as a panic attack. Yes. Yeah, spot on. It's a really, really good panic attack, <laughs> assuming it's his heart and things like that. And that's where he comes down to the high kind of nothing's been the same since New York. It's that the big threat out there, because he says to Pepper, the threat is imminent and I have to protect the one thing I can't live without. I think that that seems to be his big thing is this feeling that, that there's danger out there and I have to be on alert all the time. Yep. Which is interesting from a PTSD point of view, because actually... Is it hypervigilance when you actually do need to be hypervigilant? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. The stressful event just isn't stopping. He's always got the stressful event. It's still there. But then he has the other panic attack when he's told the suit isn't charging. So he's dri driven away and he's expecting the suit is going to be charging and it's not. Yes. And yes. that's interesting because he's not in public. He actually has to pull over and get out of his car, doesn't he? That one, I think, ties in much more to kind of one of the kind of central arcs, certainly of the first three Iron Man movies. And in a way of his whole arc throughout the whole MCU, it's a, Tony's story is very, very much about identity. And this is where I think there's an interesting parallel with Captain America, because I think Captain America's story is also very much about identity, but they're slightly different. They're, they're, they're almost like mirror images of each other. Tony's story is about the fact that he's constantly changing in a world that essentially sort of stays the same. He's so far ahead of everybody else. He's a visionary, he sees what's coming, he sees what sees the future, essentially. Cap's story is kind of the opposite. Cap is a story of somebody trying to maintain their identity in a world that's completely changing around them all the time. And the more he, the longer he spends in our, in our time, the more he realizes how different things are. Uh, he's trying to cling to the things that are key to his sense of identity. And whereas Tony, Tony's great strength is, is that he's he's able to reinvent himself all the time. Mm. In Iron Man, you know, he near the start of the first Iron Man, there's a thing with the reporter hassling him about selling weapons and being an armsmonger. And he comes right back and answers the question. He doesn't shirk away from it or, or, you know, or avoid it. He comes back, he has a morality that he believes justifies what his company does. But then he goes out in the desert and realizes that his weapons are being misused. A lot of the things that he thought were true were not true. And he very quickly kind of reinvents himself, he kind of maintains his sense of morality, but shifts what it what it's about and decides, you know, the whole company's not, you know, we're going to shift away. We're not going to make weapons anymore. But the other central identity issue with, with him is that he is, he makes reference to this quite frequently, uh, is the idea that he's just a guy in a suit. I think that's why when the, when the suit won't fail, won't, won't charge, and it's failed him, that that freaks him out because he will like, you know, the suit is what he is the is the identity he's built as a hero, you know, to, that allows him to be a hero. And in his own mind, without the suit, he is just a guy. He's just a mechanic, as he says. Yes, yes, and that, yeah, that's his big thing, isn't it? The mechanic in yeah. um, in Iron Man three. But then also that by the time you get to Infinity War, where he's had his operation, hasn't he? So he's had the shrapnel removed, but he still yeah. has the ability to just press chest plate thing, whatever that would be called. Yeah. The Iron Man suit is 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 in him. It, the Iron Man is in him all the time because he's never not Iron Man. That's his arc in Iron Man three, and in 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 fact, in some ways, his arc in in I'm going to keep saying this his arc both in the first three films and across the whole of the MCU is the realisation that he is Iron Man, not the suit. His last line of the movie proper is, I am Iron Man. And unlike at the end of the first movie, 
He says it out. He he says it in a press conference to you know in public at the end of Iron Man three. He sang it to himself. He's. If you look back at his life, he has had trauma after trauma after trauma, as most superheroes have, because he's had the trauma of kidnap and shield and nearly dying. And and then actually he then not only has lost his parents, but he then ends up watching them die on that video type thing that he watches. Um, yes. You just think there's somebody who's gone through all of those things. That hypervigilance is, well, it certainly isn't much of a surprise. But then he then has that huge sense of responsibility but it doesn't stop him from expanding that. So he goes and gets Spider-Man. And the big thing with Spider-Man is, and if you died, I feel that's that I feel that's on me. Yes. And and then he does, and he's holding him as he does that also a scene which will still make me cry, even if I just see a clip. Oh, I, 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 I fall like a baby every time. <laughs> I don't want to go. Oh, come on. <laughs> right there at the heartstrings. Right in the feels. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> given his history and given his trauma exposure, it's hardly surprising that you would then end up with somebody who's got these kinds of anxiety attacks and avoidance of talking about New York. Um, yeah. The hypervigilance, the hyperarousal, he doesn't sleep. Uh, he has nightmares, really vivid nightmares, which put Pepper at some danger. So it certainly looks, I think, like PTSD. There's never really been any doubt in my mind that that's what the filmmakers were intending to to yeah. the audience to to see it as. Harley asks, "Do you have PTSD?" And he says, "I don't think so." In amongst the barrage of questions that Harley's asking him, I don't think it matters um, what we label it. And I think that that's one of the problems we have in mental health generally. Anyway, is that this keenness um, there is in some sections and in some parts of mental health to label things. I don't think we can clearly say he does or doesn't have it because madness, in inverted commas, um, mental health problems are societally driven concepts. If you go back to how do you define PTSD, you've got the DSM-5, we use the ICD-10. They're basically these big Bibles of mental health disorders. And all they are really, all they are is nothing more than a bunch of psychiatrists' votes on how to categorise the experience of others. It's a massively judgment-laden semantic exercise. And 69% of psychiatrists on the DSM-5 panel have ties with the pharmaceutical industry. So it becomes very questionable as to how helpful those kinds of things are. But, you know, that kind of diagnosis question formed quite an integral part of the way that people viewed Iron Man 3. My understanding is that, that several, you know, several veterans groups and so on in the US, it's been, at least in the US, I don't know about elsewhere, it was kind of applauded and and recognised as being a, a good portrayal of the kind of stuff that happens to people who have been in those kind of situations and then come back to the alleged normal world and have trouble readjusting. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's absolutely right. And I think it's so important that they actually did raise this, that that these people, him in particular, he's a human. And he's vulnerable. And what we see is somebody who's struggling. And then at the end, really wonderfully in the post-credit scene, he has kind of therapy. So he's lying on the couch trying to talk to Banner. <laughs> Not that kind of doctor. Don't have the temperament for it. It's fantastic. Actually, the statistics are that only about 20% of people who have mental health problems seek help. So I think that anything that we can do that can kind of encourage people to talk to talk to anybody but actually what's interesting though is that even despite that there's no follow-up everybody just assumes he's going to be okay yeah and he has that moment in civil war where his 
left arm, he says, um, his left arm's gone numb. And that could be anxiety. That could be a bigger story arc about left arms. Um, I think <laughs> some debate can be made about that. But Black Widow says, are you all right? Always. So it's always this assumption. He doesn't, these guys don't need to talk. They don't need any help. They're always going to be all right. And I don't know whether that's where the Marvel films fall down or whether because it's being raised in the first place and it's not feasible, I guess, to put a superhero through therapy as a film. Give them long enough and they'll, they'll, they'll get there. They've dealt with... The, there's been therapy in the comics, so... I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd pay good money for, for an hour and, a half, hour and a half or two hours of Tony on the couch, or in fact, almost any of the big MCU characters on the couch talking about their, you know, talking about their baggage. I think that would be awesome. Like I say, and that's why I'd, why I'd be happy to watch a whole movie of them having a dinner party, because they're fascinating people. They're great characters, and they're, you know, they, they're, they were, and they've been generally well-written um, and brilliantly acted. So you care about them as people and that's what makes the movie so much more impactful. When they're in peril, you actually care. And you care because they're actually real people. They're not these kind of mythics. It's very hard to care about Superman because he's he's just perfect. You know, he's just he does he never does anything wrong. He never you know, he never has any doubt. He know, you know, he it's it's he's 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 a fantastic symbol to be inspired by, but he's it's hard to care about what happens to him because you know he's not gonna get hurt. Yeah. Um, Whereas Bruce Banner for me would be the opposite of that. And actually, I think what I think is so interesting is the way that he describes when he's the Hulk, that anger um, is actually, he finds that very exposing. He talks about it, I think, at some point as being like a nerve that's constantly exposed when he's the Hulk. And I find that really, really fascinating because I think that that's a really interesting way of describing anger and how actually vulnerable people can feel when they're out of control of their anger. Yeah, and it kind of feed it, it. You get a feedback loop if you're not careful, and it yeah, it can end in very unpleasant, in great unpleasantness for everybody, or in the case of the Hulk, in, in cities getting smashed. And... <laughs> <laughs> they've never, I don't know if they've ever really stressed it in the in the movies, but there's the idea in the comics that the thing with the Hulk is, the angrier he gets, the stronger he gets, and so he's in theory he's you know he's the strongest thing in the universe because there's no limit to human rage. Our capacity for anger is 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 beyond you know without, or certainly Banner's capacity for anger is beyond bounds. The aggression that he has and the sort of lack of ability to meditate on what he's going to do, so all of that kind of impulsive, sort of not premeditated type aggression. It's been questions as to whether the Hulk would meet criteria for an intermittent explosive disorder. Oh, I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, it's um, recurrent behavioural outbursts that are about a failure to control your aggressive impulses. So you either get a verbal tirades or physical aggression and they're unpredictable and they're disproportionate to the trigger or stressor. Um, and they have to happen sort of at least twice a week for three months to meet this kind of criteria. I think that would be a bit reductive to take him down to a disorder. The point, the point of him is that he is the personification of anger. I think, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think he's almost, he's, he's the personification of, I always get these confused, of id, isn't it? Id is where the emotions come from. His anger is like the anger of a, of a little kid who doesn't, when little yeah. kids get angry, they get incredibly angry. They don't have. They haven't developed the kind of controls and bounds and limitations on you know their their, their egos and super egos are still forming and so they as I understand, I'm not great on this stuff but this just read a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. It's that pri- the primary the primary processes. 
Yeah, he's a childlike figure. He's you know he's very much not smart in you know whereas whereas Banner is very 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 smart, um, and he's very uh, immediate. He just you know it's it's about what he wants mm-hmm. right there and right there, and he doesn't really think about the future. He doesn't think about consequences. He he just acts. Yeah. Um, uh, and I find it really interesting the the kind of the idea that. The idea that between the movies, he resolves all this and becomes Smart Hulk. And we don't see that. That's another movie that I would pay good money to see. I would pay good money to see that, that him go, and finally going through that process of kind of the two sides of his personality and, and, and integrating them into, a, into a, you know, a balanced whole. Because up until then, there's very much the idea that you know, the, the Hulk is aware of Banner and doesn't like him. Which is why he doesn't have dissociative identity disorder. Yeah. Because to have dissociative identity disorder, you aren't aware of the other personalities. So yeah, I, in in uh, uh, Thor Ragnarok, you know, it it was made very clear that Hulk knows about Banner, and Hulk, Hulk's kind of essentially taken taken over, and he's not going to let Banner and out. And then there's a bit in is it in, in Infinity War where where Hulk won't come out when Banner's trying mm. to get him to come out. Um, yes, yeah, he's sulking. Yeah, that continual fight between the child yeah. uh, inside him and his sort of higher processing abilities, which, as you say, as with, I think, a lot of the characters in these Marvel films, just get sorted and you don't see that just getting sorted moment. And I think you have a little bit of that with, with Tony Stark. I, I think you see it happening to an extent, as much as you can in an action movie. I think a really critical moment is the turning point, I think, in, in his in his struggles with that, in, at least within Iron Man 3, um, is the convers- when he's uh, driving and he pulls over the car and he's talking to the kid and he get, he's having an early, and he starts, have, the kid mentions New York and so he gets out of the car and he's crouched on the road. Um, and, you know, the suit isn't charged and he's off to, you know, he's going off on his own. Uh, and the kid says to him, you're a mechanic, why don't you just build something? And I think that realisation that he, that's the moment, I think, at which he starts to kind of, he starts to recover. He, his his realisation that he is Iron Man, not the suit. It's him who can make things. It's him who can, you know, and so he does. He goes off and he makes a load of stuff that lets him break into the to the compound and, and, and discover that the Mandarin isn't actually the Mandarin. Um, much, to, much to the horror and dismay of Marvel fans around the world. But actually then, but then by the time we get into Civil War, he's trying to use that bath technology to alter his traumatic memories. Um, he calls it hijacking the hippocampus to clear traumatic memories. And it kind of continues that idea that he needs to have therapy, that he wants to sort out this underlying trauma that he has. Already before any of this began, right at the very beginning of the first Iron Man films, we can see he's self-destructive, he's compulsive, he's grandiose possibly a bit of a narcissist he definitely has a strong need for admiration um hence you know i think his worries about what everybody thinks of him feeling very superior narcissist in the kind of in the in the lowercase n sense of oh, it a hundred percent yes he doesn't dislike himself no. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's a persona it's a, it's a person he's created to deal with his childhood trauma Absolutely. Um, and actually, and as you say, it's definitely narcissism with a, a, a small case N because he doesn't lack empathy. But he certainly has, without a doubt, a degree of a kind of anxiety type presentation, um, if not quite a complex PTSD type presentation um, in Iron Man 3. And I think, yeah, coming back to the, the diagnostic side of it, it's definitely post-traumatic stress. Whether, it, whether it's post-traumatic stress disorder... <laughs> 
again, it's a kind of lowercase. It's yeah. I mean, he's had a massive trauma and it's stressed him the hell out. So you know, I don't know. I, don't, I guess where you draw the line on what's a diagnosis, what's a disorder, what's you know, which is comes back to what you're saying is that this stuff is it's innately fuzzy because people are weird and complicated and everybody's different. But so what we're basically saying is that given Tony's history, given his trauma exposure from a young age all the way onwards, and the magnitude of exposure to trauma in New York it's going to be reasonable to suggest he's going to have mental health problems. Iron Man 3, for me, was the first film where it was really clear this person has problems because of a trauma they've gone through. And then we had Thor, who I think was similarly, we are presented with, this is a man who has got problems. He has gone through a lot by the time we get to him as an overweight, depressed, intoxicated man in endgame or god sorry an intoxicated god in endgame well, no, man but that, that's the thing you know even the, even the norse gods are very human in well i mean that's the great thing about the norse gods in mythology is that they're very human again like the greek gods they're not they're not this kind of christian ideal of this pangalactic mega being that's that's above and beyond us they're very human gods um but yeah he's an alien he's an asgardian and they you know they happen to be very human in in a lot of ways Conveniently enough, for you know, for, for because it makes them easy to cast actors for. Um, <laughs> I think I don't think that was the MCU's finest hour. The dealing the way they dealt with Thor. I'm not sure if I saw that as Thor having kind of mental health issues. To me, I think that was more he about grief and and him not having the tools to process it and therefore getting stuck. He couldn't deal with his grief over the fact that his father dies, his all his friends get killed, his planet gets blown up, his brother gets killed. His you know he loses pretty much almost everything in a very short period of time from Thor Ragnarok carrying on through. And the other thing about Thor is, let's face it, he's never been the most mature character. I mean, that's his kind of story arc in all his movies, to some extent, is him growing up. He grows up a little bit more in each one. But he's, you know, he, he's this classic, you know, kind of spoiled rich kid, essentially. He's a prince. He's, and he's a prince of a, of a race that basically rules a large portion of the universe, with, you know, because his dad went out and stomped on all of them. They have amazing technology. They live for indefinite period of time it's never made clear how old Thor is but he's old by human standards and in all that time he's not really suffered very much loss things have always come easy to him a partly because of his position partly because of the power of Asgard of you know their technology and the stuff they have and partly because you know he, he's, he's really strong you know he, he, he wins all his fights and Asgardians very rarely die and then all of a sudden he loses all this stuff very very quickly and i don't think he can cope with it and he doesn't he, he's never really had to grieve anything before so i think that's more i guess i don't know he's, he's grief mental illness I, I, I don't think it is i think you can get stuck in it and it can kind of spiral and become a really unhelpful thing and i think that's what's going on with in my head anyway that's what's going on with thor in in, in he's he's not mentally ill he's just not he can't process what's happened. He doesn't have the tools, and so he gets stuck. And he, and it's a, it's classic kind of a denial, de, denial avoidance kind of thing. He he sits in his house and plays video games and drinks and eats too much. Not that I've ever done that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's never happened. Not right now in lockdown. Nobody's sitting in their house drinking and eating too much. But is that not what Tony Stark's doing? So I mean, it's the same thing, isn't it? That they've gone through these huge traumas. Their reactions are therefore 
completely understandable. So why would Tony be considered to have a mental health problem, but Thor not? I guess, yeah, that's a really interesting question. I'd like to say about the difference between grief and PTSD. It's probably more helpful to ask rather than what's wrong with this person, what's happened to this person. And is yeah. what they're doing now helpful to get them through where they are now? Mm. And with Thor, clearly, at that particular point in time when we first see him in Endgame, not very helpful. <laughs> but why is it that Tony's trauma and his reaction to trauma is taken actually quite seriously, I think, in Iron Man 3. Yeah. Whereas Thor isn't taken very seriously. It's a bit of a joke that he yeah, has a, it's a gag. drunk. The one thing I do, I will give them, sorry, I, this is a bit of a tangent, but while I'm off of my kind of thing about them not dealing very well with Thor, the one thing I did like, as soon as I saw Thor for the first time in the movie and you, and you realise what, what's, what's happened, I just immediately assumed that before the end of the movie, he was going to be back to normal in terms of physically, that there was going to be some training sequence or he snaps out of it or whatever. And he's, you know, he's, he's limber, you know, super buff Thor again. And I kind of like the fact that no, but by the end of the movie, he's still, he's big fat, big fat warrior Thor. (laughs) I think maybe they fell slightly afoul of the fact that not content with, with being uh, a very good actor and being ridiculously buff and handsome and charming, Chris Hemsworth is funny. Um, just to really rub it into the rest for the rest of us, um, I think the basic idea of of him being stuck in grief and unable to cope with it, I think, is is not that's that's a strong idea, and it fits perfectly with who Thor is and and all the stuff you know that I was talking about before. But I just think they handled it really badly. Um, and you know, the, the, it, and it, it yeah, it, he became a figure of fun in a not very positive way. You were kind of laughing at him, not with him, and you were laughing at him for being, you know, sad and fat. Which they make up for it later. You know, he, when he gets his, you know, when he gets his game face back on, and you know, he's great towards the end of the movie. And it, the one, and, and it does lead to the really touching scene with his mother, which I thought was excellent. And that did that again teared me up. But that was really touching. Um, and again, I think part of how he gets past his, his, you know, gets his game face back on, basically. But it doesn't surprise me again that, you know, he recovers once he's given purpose again, once he once they kind of snap him out of it, he, he's he there's no lasting effects of that. I don't think Or it'd be really interesting to see what they do in in um, as Guardians of the Galaxy or whatever it is the <laughs> whether there's going to be an ongoing thing with him having issues or whether he's going to be back to being Thor I don't know I don't know it'll be inter- I'm, I'm genuinely interested to see where they go with him it would be really interesting if they did because I think that's one of the things that where Marvel aren't necessarily always quite hitting it they have these characters that have the trauma and they have the mental illness and now they're avoid facing it or don't quite seek treatment for it although I think Tony Stark feels that he needs some treatment for it but actually it's often forgotten and it might be forgotten because they now have a purpose or it may just be forgotten because a new writer has taken on the next film and yes yeah it'll be interesting to see what they do with with Thor there's a rich scene that they still could mine with the mental health side now they've exposed the theory that you can be a superhero and have mental health problems yeah I mean there's definitely post Post Infinity War and and Endgame, there is definitely 
the, the, the whole MCU is right for, for mental health repercussions because <laughs> it was a slightly stressful situation. Being a superhero is not easy. <laughs> I am so going to end this podcast on that line. <laughs> You've been listening to Analyze This, mental health in film and TV. I'm Dr. Boo. My guest today was Andy Butcher. Music by Joseph McDade. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe or follow us on Facebook or Twitter.